Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. We will not take the bait or engage in saber rattling. We will not be intimidated. We have lost 30 Kentuckians. It's going to take years to rebuild. The United States did not seek this war against terror. It came to us. We answered with the same principles and resolve that have shaped us for generation upon generation. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right. Welcome back in. It is News and Views. Tom, Benny, Clark, and you, and lots to talk about. I'm trying to figure out exactly uh, what Paladin Pelosi, and what's the big threat over there? Um, I I got it wrong. I've said on more than one occasion I thought they would... uh, do a fly around Taiwan and not uh, not land there, and they'd come up with some excuse. But she landed, and uh, China apparently is now planning on surrounding the island of Taiwan with military vessels. But it's just it's hard to figure out. I mean, there's uh, I, now I understand we were looking it up before we went on the air. The one China policy was implemented back in 1979. And basically, it says, okay, we're going to view China as as one. At the same time, back in 79, they, they were saying, but we're, we're not saying that communist China rules Taiwan. They're, they're two separate things, but we look at it as a one-China policy. Uh, today, um, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi made it to Taiwan. During a daily briefing at the White House, National Security Council Coordinator for Strategic Communications John Kirby stressed that has nothing has changed with the U.S. policy towards China, that Biden does not support Taiwan's independence. He also falsely claimed there has been no drama with the Pelosi trip. Again, the, there's been some drama there. Uh, the world has seen the United States government be very clear that nothing has changed. Nothing has changed about our one-China policy which is, of course, guided by the Taiwan Relations Act, the three joint U.S. PRC communiques and the six assurances, Kirby said. We have said, we have repeatedly said that we oppose any unilateral changes in the status quo from either side. We have said that we do not support Taiwan independence, and we have said that we expect cross-strait differences to be resolved by peaceful means. Is that naive? I'd say probably. (laughs) Uh, And uh, they're just speaking out of both sides of the mouth. I mean, as we speak, there is a bill being considered in the Senate. It's been read twice. It was introduced by Menendez of uh, New Jersey and Senator Graham of South Carolina uh, just about less than 60 days ago. It was introduced. It's called the Taiwan Policy Act of 2022. And it's, I mean, it's, uh, you know, the large type print, but it's still about 100 pages but I, I'm just skimming through it um, amongst other things. And again, this is not law, but this is a law being proposed by these two senators. Uh, it is the policy of the United States, it says, to support the security of Taiwan, the stability of cross-strait relations, and the freedom of people of Taiwan to determine their own future and to strenuous, uh, strenuously oppose any actions by the uh, People's Republic of China to use force to change the status quo of Taiwan. It goes on to say the Taiwan Relations Act 
has enabled the people of the United States and the people of Taiwan, Taiwan to maintain strong, important relations that promotes regional security, prosperity, and shared democratic values. The security of Taiwan and the ability of the people to, of Taiwan to determine their own future is fundamental to the United States and values. I mean, again, is, does that sound like a one-China policy? <laughs> I, I, I just – I mean if, if – obviously there's a, a lot of um, different signals being put out there by the United States. I don't know how communist China would interpret it, and I'm not sure how Taiwan would interpret it. I mean they welcome the secretary uh, – I mean the speaker of the house to uh, to Taiwan – uh, you know, apparently they're selling uh, duty-free liquor there at the Taiwanese airport, so he's probably going to stock up and maybe get some extra holiday. <laughs> well, that's, that's the only place uh, Nancy Pelosi visit then. <laughs> you know, we were talking about it before air. I, I, I've never believed there should that between the executive and and um, legislative branch when it deals with foreign relations. I think everybody needs to be singing off the same sheet of music. I mean, yeah, Congress can disagree and that's the reason he got the balances of power but but what purpose is this trip for nancy pelosi to go to taiwan i mean first of all with her uh limited cognitive ability i, I mean i mean in all seriousness what is she <laughs> going right. to accomplish you're i mean right. maybe maybe some of her aides or some some business people that uh has sweetened her pockets maybe have gone over there with her she's cutting some deals or something but from a diplomatic perspective she could do nothing but embarrass the United States. The same with Joe Biden. Yeah. And I just I just heard last night, just flipping channels, whether it was CNN, Fox News, whatever channel you want to go to, Democrats and Republicans alike. You know, you, to me, saber rattling. You know, talking about hey, we got to show China this, show China that. Well, these people that want to show China this, I damn guarantee you would be the last person that would back up and and take a a uh, M sixteen and defend this freaking country. And I'm tired of these politicians in Washington, D.C. putting our young young people at risk for this. Just stay the hell out of Taiwan. That's, that's my opinion. And well, our founding fathers made it very clear that we need to be extremely hesitant and careful before we get involved in the affairs of other nations. Yeah. And it's always sort of been, okay, is, is this – uh, in our national interest, and and that not not just casually national interest, but is is it is it vitally important? Are we going to somehow lose our freedoms if we get involved or don't get involved in this other nation's affairs? And you know, I think you know, in one hand, Donald Trump was absolutely right when he said, "Look, I mean, I know we've got the you know uh, North Atlantic Treaty and all that, but you know, in NATO." Donald Trump was absolutely right when he said, "Look, you guys are going to have to pay your fair share. We're not, we're, yeah. You don't don't look at us and expect us to to bail you out." And much of the rest of the world is looking to the United States as, "Well, if we get in trouble, the United States will come bail us out." And who's going to bail us out? Because uh, we're on the brink right now of needing to be bailed out. Uh, so I would agree that you know we would we need to be very careful, and and I also agree with you that. Uh, you know, there are a lot of Republican, conservative Republicans that are uh, jumping in there and with both feet and saying, yeah, go Nancy Pelosi, go. You know, you, you get in there and you, you show these the, the China folks, you know, that the communist China folks that uh, we, we mean business. Uh, do we mean business? I mean, I mean, we're sitting here discussing 
where does the United States stand on Taiwan? I, I can't figure it out. And, and uh, the, again, the communist Chinese are probably over there saying, okay, um, we can't figure it out either. The last time a speaker visited Taiwan was Newt Gingrich back in uh, 1997. Mm. So it's been 25 years since a, a United States Speaker of the House has been to Taiwan. And I read an article last night. I don't know what significance this is, but he um, – he went to Taiwan after a trip to Japan, so he left Japan and went to Taiwan. I mean, I don't you – know, the, the article, this is an old article from you know, 25 years ago, kind of making a big deal about the significance of that. I don't, I don't know why that's really significant. I mean, you know, planes can go where they want to. But, I, you know, you've got Republicans and Democrats and, and Joe Biden. All, all of a sudden, everybody wants to take this big, tough position on China. Well – you sure hadn't taken a tough position in you know, the Biden family. Yeah. The Biden family has benefited from what's going on with China. They're in bed with everything in the world with China, with, with all Hunter's dealings. But then you've got congressmen on both sides of the aisle for, for years have always been soft on China. Um, I, you know, I just honestly, I think it's the Democrats midterms play to take the eye off the obvious. The economy stinks. Yep. The, United States is broke. Inflation is runaway. Interest rates are starting to – I mean, in the first time since, what, 1980, we're in a position of stagflation, you know. Yeah. And I think it's just an attempt of the Democrats with midterms coming up just to take America's eye off of what's really going on, what I think. So um, what did uh, Joe uh, taking out um, the al-Qaeda uh, operative – yesterday and going on and bragging about it uh, last night he was a tough guy wasn't he yeah, T- yeah. big tough guy in his address and that was that, again that was just more of the same that was w- what you just said this is uh, basically a wag the doll th- a dog um hey we're we're uh, gonna take the eye off the stinking economy and we're gonna come across as really being uh, tough on the bad guys good luck with that don't think it's going to fly. I mean, you know, you, I'm sure it, with the CIA, it's, it's been in the works and probably very little briefings to the White House. It's been in the works for weeks until probably, you know, if it wasn't for for things going so bad, I, I could see Joe Biden. Because, heck, Joe Biden disagreed with uh, taking Osama bin Laden out yeah. under Obama administration. Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, people forget that. It wasn't talked about too much. Um because you know the press isn't going to talk about it, but he was against Osama bin Laden being taken out. If it weren't for the fact that you know he couldn't tell you where the he probably couldn't tell you who the guy was just because his his cognitive decline. But if things were going better in the United States, he'd probably say, "Nah, oh yeah, no, we, no, we, oh, we're yeah. not going to do anything." I, I, I guarantee you, the discussion wasn't not about the safety of. Uh, our military or the safety of the people over there or retaliation because this guy's a, a, a despot. It was all about how is this going to affect the midterms. It was – I guarantee you behind the scenes, I bet 90 percent of the conversation was political optics of doing it or not doing it. Yeah. I mean, I guarantee yeah. you. A hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> Sad story to report. WITN News along with other media outlets are reporting a Wayne County deputy – well, one, uh, we reported yesterday three deputies were shot yesterday down outside of Goldsboro while trying to deliver papers to commit a individual by the name of Jordan Hamilton. Uh, three uh, deputies were shot. Uh, one of those deputies has uh, passed away. It was actually Sergeant uh, Matthew Fishman 
passed away at ECU Medical Center this morning. The sergeant was one of three deputies injured, and they were attempting, as I said, to uh, serve those papers. Ten-hour standoff. Uh, SWAT team finally found the 23-year-old man, Jordan Hamilton, dead inside his home of an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound. Just before 2 p.m., Deputy Alexander uh, Torres was released from the uh, Greenville Hospital. The 27-year-old deputy was being escorted by about two dozen law enforcement vehicles. At last report, Corporal Andrew Cox, who was 37, was in stable condition, still at ECU Health. Now, yesterday, the early reports were one of the three deputies was at a hospital down in uh, the Goldsboro area. I'm assuming that they transferred him help to uh, Greenville later in the day. Uh, just say a prayer for uh, this uh, family, uh, the, the Fishman family. Um, uh, the the uh, governor has ordered all flags at uh, state facilities be lowered to half staff in honor of uh, Sergeant Fishman. Uh, the SBI is looking into the shooting. Yeah, and I, as I understand it uh, from friends in law enforcement, <clears throat> he has uh, he leaves behind a wife and two young children, mm. and uh, it's just uh, it's just sad what our law enforcement officers face every day. And you know, it seems like the majority of people in america now is critical of law enforcement and, and not that they're perfect yeah they're gonna make mistakes but you know they make a uh, make more things right do things more things right than things wrong and it just for to realize i mean this is happening i mean this is Way this seems like the news every day somewhere yeah. in the united states and yeah. and i think this issue was regarding an involuntary committal i believe it was yeah. and I, I know situations like that and domestic situations are always the most dangerous and the ones that are that they fear the most and that are so unpredictable um so where are sad. all the protesters demanding that something be done with these police shootings uh and i'm being sarcastic here but i mean you know when when someone is involved in a conflict that turns violent with police officers and the um, a person dies who's going against the police officers how often the police officers are immediately vilified that they responded too soon well here you have three deputies that were shot and one has lost his life Mm -hmm. Um, when these again it is so easy for these critics to play armchair quarterback, to go on and say, why did you do that? You could have done so many different other things. Uh, you know, the, the individual that was shot and killed up in Elizabeth City last year. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and, and again, trying to arrest him for uh, uh, illegal drug activity. Yeah, been charged in the past with dealing fentanyl and other drugs. Yeah. And, and uh, yet, it, it, it so glibly accused the police officers. <laughs> these police officers... And again, this this is probably something. In fact, I heard reports uh, yesterday afternoon that this is, or I guess it was this morning. This was pretty cut and dry. That you know, normally this is not a big deal. To send three officers out to, uh, you know, serve these papers, and you know, it, it ninety nine times out of a hundred, or probably nine hundred ninety nine times out of a thousand, it's not a big deal. But you never know when it's going to become a big deal. And now we've got a lof- an officer. Who's lost his life? A wife who's lost her husband, and two little kids who lost her daddy. So, say a prayer for the Fishman family. Let's go ahead and take a time out. Do want to talk about uh, some interesting things coming out of the University of uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina's university, and uh, concerning this affirmative action case that's going to end up at the United States Supreme Court. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
This is your Drive at 5 and ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome back in August the 2nd, National Ice Cream Sandwich Day. <laughs> Why? Yeah, I noticed it's, it's, never, it's, it's never National Broccoli Day or yeah. National Spinach Day. It's always. <laughs> what, what is it? No. Uh, was it no good story ever starts with a salad or something like that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> National Salad Day. I, I am getting old. 32 years ago today, I mean, that's half a lifetime. It's almost half my lifetime. Not quite. Almost, though. 32 years ago today, what do you think happened? Made worldwide news. What, what, is, what is that? Gosh. 1990. Uh, 1990. It would have probably been um, – <clears throat> Let's see. Uh, we invaded Kuwait. Let's see, Kuwait. Well, was you're about, close. That was that was. Uh, you're close. Kuwait was in the January of like ninety one. Uh, uh, Nineteen ninety, Saddam Hussein led Iraq's army into Kuwait shortly before uh, dawn. Iraqi okay. troops captured the uh, Kuwak, uh, um, the uh, governor's palace there, other government buildings. The Iraqis were driven out uh, in January of nineteen ninety one by Operation Desert Storm. Norm Schwarzkopf. Schwarzkopf. Storman Norman. Yeah. He was the hero of the day. I guess that's what elevated um, – oh, I quickly forget uh, – the, the black uh, general that was Secretary of State. Colin uh, Powell. Colin Powell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember the date because – I remember it was January because I was in a bar in um, – no, it's Snowshoe, West Virginia, snow skiing. Oh, okay. And when it, it hit, and I remember uh, – what, what was the guy with CNN uh, – Oh, Bernard the, the, Shaw. Yeah, the black guy. Yeah, yeah that was. Yeah. It, it he was, was up in the hotel. Yeah, doing the reports the report up under the, the table and all that kind of as stuff. The, as they're getting bombarded. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's kind. That kind of uh, that kind of put CNN on the map. They're kind of were laughable before. Where's that. Bernard Shaw now? Is he still alive? I think he passed away. Yeah. I think. Okay. Weather and your Bernard Shaw update is brought to you by our friends at the Ironwood Golf and Country Club. Whether you're looking to spend your summer poolside, courtside, or greenside. Ironwood Golf and Country Club offers a variety of memberships tailored to fit your lifestyle with no initiation fee required. And remember, if you're headed to the beach this summer, pack your clubs because Ironwood members receive reciprocal golf and dining privileges at the Beaufort Club in Beaufort and Compass Point Golf Club and Magnolia Greens located near Wilmington. More information, contact membership director Jenna Doyle. Her number is 252-752-4653. Join in on the fun at Ironwood today, a part of the Renaissance Golf Group. Uh, Bernard Shaw out of CNN is alive. I'm sorry, but oh, he's okay. he's a, he's 82 years You're old. You're sorry? <laughs> well, we said he was pa- – no, he said he's passed away. You're so. sorry you said he was yeah, passed away. Yeah, I said – I'm sorry I put him in his grave too yeah, soon. Okay. But, uh, but I didn't realize he uh, served in Marines in Vietnam. Okay. Yeah, that was probably the high water mark for CNN. <laughs> Quickly went down after that. Yeah, before that, it were known as the Chicken Noodle Network is what they used to call them. But then it was the Clinton News Network. Yeah, yeah. The News and Observer is reporting Governor Roy Cooper and three of his predecessors have submitted an amicus brief, that's a front-of-the-court brief, supporting UNC Chapel Hill and its affirmative action admission case being heard by the United States Supreme Court. The case, which stems from a 2014 lawsuit against UNC, challenges how colleges and universities should consider race in the admissions process, if at all. And by the way, these uh, cases have gone up the flagpole before, and, and this is the most conservative court, certainly the most conservative Supreme Court that any of these cases have, have come close to. Uh, I think uh, – I really do think UNC and these affirmative action cases I think are going to lose 
with this particular court. The anti-affirmative action group Students for Fair Admission alleges UNC discriminated against white and Asian American applicants by using race when evaluating undergraduate student applications. The group, which has made up of thousands of rejected applicants, prospective students and parents, filed a similar lawsuit against Harvard, which will also be heard by the court. The two cases are, are in, in one. I mean, they're not two separate cases. That's one case. Students for fair admissions once race taken out of the admission process, arguing that any consideration of race in education is unconstitutional. So far, UNC has successfully defended its position that race is an important piece of the school's holistic admissions process, but not a dominant factor. And see, I think this is where uh, the, the truth is very, very fuzzy. Because you can say all you want that it's not the dominant factor, but at the end of the day, if if it is it's it's not as if all things being equal we're going to give it to the the minority generally it's a non-minority has can have very good credentials all the right boxes checked in terms of how they qualify on their merits and yet you can have a lesser qualified individual that uh, ends up prevailing in the admission. And that's, that's going to be, I'm sure they're going to come off uh, in, in this court with some pretty strong evidence that that is the case. UNC has also shown how considering a prospective student's race helps improve a diversity on campus and enhances the academic experience. With the fate of race-conscious admissions at public and private institutions in its hands, this conservative court ruling could alter affirmative action in higher education and the diversity of college campuses across the country. I'll be honest with you, though. The problem is, because this is very similar to what I went through with the FCC, where they're saying that, you know, in my case, the, the administrative law judge at the FCC, when they were awarding licenses, said Lambrecht is the best qualified, but he can't overcome the fact that he's a white male. I mean, this guy came out <laughs> and said this. But uh, – and, and – and then when, when it, and we took it to court and we prevailed in court and went back to the FCC and they said, oh, yeah, yeah, we understand it was close before and it's closer now, but Lamprex still loses. And I think this is, this is part of the problem that a lot of these campuses, regardless of what the court says, they're going to continue in, in a more stealth manner, but they will continue to do what they've been doing. Um, Quote, our public universities are a training ground for our state workforce, and the next generation of state leaders and government works better when it looks like the people it represents, Governor Cooper said in a statement. So apparently, according to Cooper, if um, we wanted, you know, the admissions policy to, to look like the people it represents, apparently we want to look like a bunch of pathetic victims. And instead of victors who make it on the merits. Clark, do you have the dump button re- ready just in, ca- just in case? <laughs> All right. If, if you got kids in the car, <laughs> Benny's about ready to speak. So get ready to turn the volume down. I, I, I read that statement by the governor this morning, and I am so dang tired of hearing this out of spineless leaders in government and big business and in institutional America, universities, that people think that – you need to hire based on people to look like them. That is absolutely 
bull crap. Excuse me. I can't think. I can think of a better word, but I won't say it. We might get in trouble with SEC. Speaking of SEC, but I mean, diversity. But, we're all human beings. I mean, like, do you got to have a certain number of bald people, a certain number of six foot two people, a certain number of five foot people. I mean, it's. I believe in diversity of experiences and qualifications and abilities, but. Skin, skin color. I mean, and University of North Carolina system and University of North Carolina. I, I think University of North Carolina needs to look at different geographical areas around the state and around the country, particularly around the state. And if you get people from, say, eastern North Carolina, northeastern North Carolina, you're going to get a good cross section of, of people of various colors and mixed races. But to say that that people want their their government people to look like them that's that's saying the governor's saying okay person of color you don't have enough sense to discern somebody's ability on anything other than their skin color that is the most racist statement that i've ever heard and i've heard people in this town and big organizations say the same thing on board meetings i've said on and that is horse crap well and it's illegal it's, it should be it, it, is well, illegal. it is illegal if you go and apply for a government job and on the application they say what race are you it's illegal. You can't ask that question. So why is it legal for UNC Chapel Hill to ask what race are you? And, and oh, you got the right checkbox, so we'll let you in. No, you don't have the right checkbox. You can't come in. Well, you know, several months. Well, I guess it's several months. Yes, yeah, been several months ago. Time flies by. But you know, we had uh, current board of trustees member Marty Cotus with UNC right. on our show. Uh, he was a board of governors member. He's the one that really brought this up. Yeah, he brought this issue up, and he was lambasted for it, called a racist throughout the state. And he's just stating the fact that, hey, we shouldn't look at skin color. We should look at people's ability and their Their experiences and their merits. And here the governor saying that, okay, North Carolinians – North Carolinians don't have enough sense to discern that on their own. They want somebody to look like them. And I am so sick and tired of hearing that because I hear the same thing whether it be the healthcare field or, or university field or wherever, they say they want the doctors and nurses to look like that. That is absolute. Well, let me ask you this. And, and when it comes to diversity, let's, let's talk about the diversity of the professors at UNC Chapel Hill. Do we have a diversity of libertarians? Oh, yeah. Of Republicans, of Democrats, of independents? Um, where, where do they fall in? Where, where, where are their poli- – I mean, let's talk about the diversity of the political views of the professors at UNC Chapel Hill. Now, they'll parade out, you know, the 3% of conservatives that accidentally slipped in <laughs> and, yeah. and are still teaching there. But where's the diversity in thought of the administration and the faculty at UNC Chapel Hill? I guarantee you it's not too diverse. I guarantee you it is pretty darn liberal. Well, Governor Cooper's comments here is just another thing. He's taken his every move he makes is the DNC playbook, and all they want to do is try to divide people and divide races and divide black people against white people. And and that statement just – I mean, that's that's the Democrat Party of 2022. You know, you, the UNC system, I guarantee you, UNC Health or ECU Health, I'll say ECU Health as well. If a, a patient from eastern North Carolina or central North Carolina goes to UNC Health Care or ECU Health Care, if they're a person of color, I guarantee you when that doctor or nurse walks in there, that's the last damn thing on their mind is what color they are. They want to know, are they a good surgeon? Bingo. That's what they want to know. And this <laughs> crap right here. Just keeps me pushing by politicians, and it makes me furious if you can't figure that out. 
I t- I, I, you gave me a little hint there. And we're going to take a time out and we come back. I want to talk another story about UNC Chapel Hill, the absurd end to Nicole Hannah-Jones' furor. We'll talk about that. And you, you, if you think this last story made you ticked, <laughs> wait for this next one. It's a National Review article. We'll have that when we get back. should be a delight. This is Tom Lamprecht with more news and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. I'm looking at uh, headlines on Town Hall. One of the headlines says, this is not satire. There are actually people out there who think AOC should run for president in 2024. <laughs> wow. Uh, I really wish, well, I, I still don't think there will be a Democrat primary. But if there is a Democrat primary, I hope there's... A, a decent number of Democrats running where where the mainstream media will really challenge them in the Democrat debates because oh, yeah. oh, it yeah. will be oh, laughable yeah. of how how embarrassing it would be for her. National Review, author of this article is a guy named George Leaf. The absurd end to the UNC Nicole Hannah-Jones Fuhrer. Now, you remember the story of Nicole Hannah-Jones. Mm-hmm. She wrote the 1619 Project. That was what it's called, right? Yeah, 1619 yeah. Project. That yeah. was kind of a – well, let's see. And basically, it said that the United States started at Jamestown and slavery and that the United States mm-hmm. – the whole, the whole government of the United States was based on slavery. People fled Europe because they wanted to come to the United States and have slaves. Yeah. That's basically what it's based on. And then um, she she wrote that, and of course it's fiction. I mean, just total fiction. And the university leaders at North Carolina decide they were going to hire her as a journalism professor, and uh, the job did not come with tenure, which is standard procedure. I mean, she didn't really have a, a professor background. I mean, she wasn't coming in from a different university. Uh, she was wor- working for the New York Times. And uh, as well, spent some times down in Cat and down in Cuba, learning from Castro, Cuba, Cuba. The uh, bottom line was, you know, she got all huffy, and uh, the, the uh, board of governors uh, went back and forth on this. But she gets all huffy, and she says, "For forget it, I'm going to Howard University." That wasn't the end of the story. Her lawyers concocted a lawsuit against UNC Chapel Hill, and UNC Chapel Hill caved with a juicy settlement. In today's Martin Center article, Philip Magnus and James Harrigan write about the settlement. First, as to the initial job offer, the the authors observed, quote, while UNC did, in fact, offer Nicole Hannah-Jones a position, which she did, in fact, accept, there was the devil in the details. The job she accepted did not come with tenure. It came with a five-year contract with an option for tenure review. Whatever the interior machinations at the Hussman School, this was not an reasonable offer, an unreasonable offer. Hannah Jones, quite simply, 
had not done the sort of academic work that tenure rewards. Journalism and academia are two very different animals. A five-year contract at a major university should have been enough, but the lack of immediate tenure caused Hannah Jones to claim that she was being mistreated. So what about the settlement? UNC will pay her $75,000 not to sue. (coughs) Far more expensive, however, are the other terms. The authors explain, it turns out that the $75,000 wasn't enough. As a part of her settlement, she somehow managed to secure a bunch of diversity, equity, and inclusion censures for 20 university administrators. Per the agreement, these bureaucrats will be attached to hiring committees for new university employees. They will receive a stipend to serve as consultants or participants in the hiring searches. The terms of Hannah Jones's deal also directed UNC to make a new hire for something called trauma-informed therapist within the multicultural health program as if to signal atonement for Hannah Jones' claims of her mental anguish (coughs) over the insufficiency, uh, the insufficiently generous hiring offer in the initial round. Another clause that dedicates an annual payout of $5,000 to pay for meetings, events, and symposia hosted by an activist organization for university faculty and staff. Hmm. Uh, so, you, you, so this woman, anybody else, anybody else would have said what a generous offer. I can't remember what it was. It was her offer was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars per year. Mm-hmm. They give her a five-year contract and the opportunity for a 10-year review at the end of five years, which is standard procedure. A very generous offer. Not good enough. So she sues. They drop their drawers and say, here's $75,000. That's not good enough. And then she comes in and says, you have to do all these different things that I'm going to dictate. Mm-hmm. I would have told her that you can go, you know, where. Yeah. Yeah, and I guarantee you this active, activist organization and, and all these things that they have to do. She's probably got tied to some consulting contract oh, yeah. with some outside oh, yeah. firm. Oh, yeah. It, I mean, the goodies will continue oh, yeah. to roll on, oh, yeah. roll in. Bingo. And, and, Bingo. And people think, uh, you know, hey, we need, we, need, we need more money in higher education. Pro- probably this, the, the um, position that she was offered originally, I, I bet she didn't spend pro- – she probably would require her to spend – Five hours a week on campus, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in and, and the hundreds of thousands. Of, and you're absolutely right. Follow the money. I guarantee you, if you follow where the the funds will go for this diversity training, it'll somehow be tied to some organization that um, Nicole Hannah-Jones has her fingers in. Yeah, and people wonder why, you know, why the, the, the rate of inflation for the educational system for higher education, you know, is what three or four times what the normal inflation rate is in the last forty years yeah. for nonsense like this. Because well, you got people without skin in the game just throwing out money that the taxpayers will subsidize. My youngest daughter, she went to a private university here in the state, and it, um, she's in her uh, mid to late thirties now, and uh, mid thirties, and it is it, it's doubled since she was in college. Yep. 20 years ago. Doubled in price. Hey, we've got to get another timeout. Stay with us. Um, who will win between Trump and Biden? Who would win between Trump and Harris? New poll coming out. We'll tell you what the results are. We'll be right back. 
Now, folks, uh, uh, look, they keep talking about a pipeline, a magical cash pipeline. And uh, that's not going to bring down inflation. It's not going to bring down gas prices. Only changing my terrible policies can do that. The only cash pipeline that's open right now is the one that's dumping our money into Ukraine. Turn off his mic! Cutting through the confusion to bring you clarity with Tom and Benny on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. The Hill is reporting on a Harvard poll. Latest numbers from the Harvard Caps Harris poll. More bad news for Cousin Eddie, Joe Biden, and his administration. Americans continue to view the country's prospects under Democrat control less and less favorable. Things have evidently gotten so bad under Biden and Harris that one data point, a question about a hypothetical presidential contest, again shows that Donald Trump beating both President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. In a Trump versus Biden rematch of the election were held now, 45 percent of registered voters picked Donald Trump, while just 41 percent picked Joe Biden. In the hypothetical contest between Trump and Harris, Trump wins again. Bigger numbers for Trump, 47 percent to Harris's 40 percent, who performed even worse than Biden. And a blow to Nancy Pelosi and Liz Cheney's select committee billed as investigating the events of January 6 and transparently uh, geared at hurting Republicans and preventing Trump from seeking office again. More than half of registered voters, 55 percent said the January 6th committee hearings were not conducted fairly and the recent news about a formal DOJ investigation into Trump's actions related to January 6th has led even more voters, 61 percent, to believe the probe politically motivated. Which is, uh, you know, that that last little segment is really important because that's what a lot of Democrats are hanging their hat on, that this January 6th committee is somehow going to take out Donald Trump and elevate them. And if, you know, if this poll is correct, and again, I wouldn't say this is by any means a conservative uh, pollster on this, uh, it would it would appear that according to this poll, it's actually backfiring on them. Mm-hmm. Any reasonable person, Democrat or Republican, <clears throat> if they follow this January 6th hearings at all, I mean, it's a joke. It's laughable. You know, they're big, what, just, what, three, four weeks ago, they're big bombshell witness. Uh, her name escapes me. You know, they made the big yeah, deal. The, the, the woman that was yeah. uh, working for Mark Meadows. Yeah, that was speaking hearsay. Yeah. I mean, that was supposed to be their big bombshell deal, and <laughs> I think that fell pretty flat. So I, I don't think I don't think the American public They're cares. Obviously not I mean, buying they, it. They care the fact that gas prices is through the roof. You go to the grocery store, you got to take out a loan just to buy groceries, and uh, that's what they're worried about. Ron DeSantis was apparently invited to be a guest on The View. I'd like to see that. Well, uh, Ron DeSantis basically uh, brushed them off. They extended The View to DeSantis. His uh, press secretary, deputy press secretary, Brian Griffin, shared his response. Thanks for the invite. I understand you are sending this request on behalf of your team, he wrote in a message. But are the host of The View really interested in hearing from Governor DeSantis about all the important work he's doing on behalf of Floridians to protect their health and livelihoods, to stand up for parents and children, and to defend freedom? DeSantis's deputy secretary then asked, which of the blow statements from the host of The View 
do you recommend our team consider when deciding if the interview would be the genuine pursuit of truth? Examples, Joe Behar calling the governor a homicidal psychopath. (laughs) Sonny Hostin declaring him to be a fascist and a bigot. Anna Navarro uh, calling him anti-black. And uh, Sonny Hostin criticizing his policies as anti-black history laws. We will pass on this offer, Griffin wrote. And please note, we don't coordinate appearances or events of a political nature from the official office. Our role is to serve the people of Florida. The View declined to give a comment. (laughs) Yeah. You Uh, know, I've never watched a full episode of The View, but I I did. I don't think I've ever watched 30 seconds of it. I I did watch it one time when Bill O'Reilly was on there just because, I I mean, I knew he, I mean, he's not afraid of of, of them, but. And he doesn't care what they say. Whenever you doubt the the fact that the United States is not a great country with opportunities for all, just watch The View because if they can make a (laughs) living, that has got to be the dumbest show in America. And if they can make the money they make and make a living doing what they do america if you can't make it in america you can't make it anywhere because they are they were stupid there's no other way to say it yeah but if those if if the same level of intelligence were presented by conservatives and which again that's sort of an oxymoron but what i'm saying if these if these women had their same level intelligence but they were coming from a conservative vantage point oh yeah they would I mean, they couldn't get a job anywhere in any media outlet because uh, they're not checking the right boxes. I mean, if 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 you just want to get your blood pressure up, go watch Joe Joy Behar. It's not only what she says; it's not only the stupidity of what she says, but it's how she says it that is so irritating. God, God help her husband. <laughs> she had to. He has to live with her. Yeah. Is, is she married? I, I can't I think believe she, I think she is. Wow. Yeah. God bless him. Hey, listen, thanks for being with us. We'll do it again tomorrow at 5. See you then. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.